stay up to date and engage with the financial world. You're listening to the Wall Street Millennial Podcast. We're looking at one of the biggest and most complicated financial disasters of recent years. Founded by the Australian financier Lex Greensill, Greensill promised to democratize the supply chain finance industry and help small businesses around the world get access to much-needed working capital. They promised to deliver their investors low risk and high returns by harnessing the powers of machine learning and artificial intelligence. In 2019, they raised $800 million from the technology conglomerate SoftBank. They gained credibility by signing on a star-studded list of advisors, including former British Prime Minister David Cameron and former Australian Foreign Minister Julie Bishop. Both of those people were well-respected on the global stage, but had zero experience in supply chain finance or AI. This is eerily similar to Theranos, which had a similar star-studded board of former politicians and generals, also with zero experience in the medical field. As of early 2020, everything was looking good for Greensill. Their investment bank Credit Suisse was mulling a $30 billion IPO for this disruptive AI company. They planned to position it as a -a once-in-a-generation company, worthy of a premium valuation. This would have put Lex Greensill comfortably into billionaire status. Just one year later, the company filed for insolvency, wiping out their entire equity value. Investors who bought Greensill's financial products are on the hook to lose billions of dollars, and their previous insurance provider is now calling them a fraud. Lex Greensill was born in a small rural town in Australia. His parents owned a farm that grew melons, sugarcane, and other plants. Lex saw firsthand how much his family farm struggled with financial issues. Even after they sent the harvest to the customer, they would often have to wait months or even years to receive cash payment. This is a big problem for many farmers, because they need the cash today to pay their day-to-day expenses and plant the next crop. Many business transactions function with a delay. For example, if a farmer ships some watermelons to a supermarket, they might not get the cash immediately. Instead, they give the supermarket an invoice, saying that they must pay within a certain period of time, maybe six months. These arrangements are far more favorable to the customer, as they don't need to come up with the cash until a few months later. The suppliers often have to accept these unfavorable terms if the customer has some sort of bargaining power. For example, it might be the only big supermarket chain in the area. If the supplier needs the money immediately, they can use something called supply chain finance. When the supplier delivers the product to the customer, they sell the invoice to a bank who gives them money up front. The bank then waits the six months and collects the cash from the customer. The bank will buy the invoice for a discount to its face value. This compensates them for the time value of the money as well as the risk that the customer defaults on the invoice. Supply chain finance is risky because there is some chance that the customer just doesn't pay. Because of this, banks typically only extend credit to large companies that they know well and have high confidence that the invoices will eventually be paid. This effectively excludes many small businesses from the system, making it difficult for them to grow or even maintain their day-to-day operations. Lex saw this problem and eventually wanted to democratize supply chain finance for all types of businesses. Before he could do this, he would first have to make a name for himself in the financial world. So he left his small Australian hometown and moved to London, the financial capital of Europe. He learned the ropes of the financial world by working at the multinational investment banks Morgan Stanley and Citigroup. In 2011, he quit his high-paid investment banking job to found his own supply chain finance company, which he named Greensill Capital. Supply chain finance has been around for thousands of years, and many traditional banks offered these services to their large corporate customers. But Greensill promised to completely disrupt the industry. They employed the latest advances in machine learning and artificial intelligence technology to predict the creditworthiness of potential borrowers. 
With these novel methods, they can identify small businesses who have a very high probability of being creditworthy, but had been neglected by the traditional banks because of lack of credit history or other similar reasons. Supply chain finance is a very capital-intensive industry. You have to give money to the borrower upfront in exchange for payments that come months later. If you need to grow, you need to access capital. If you want to grow fast, you need access to a lot of capital. Lex met a man named David Solo, the former CEO of the Swiss asset management company GAM. Solo personally gave Greensill a $9 million loan to get them up and running. But Solo also had something more valuable than money, connections. Around 2016, Solo introduced Lex to the company that he used to help, GAM Investments. Based in Switzerland, GAM was a massive asset management company with over $100 billion of assets under management at the time. Specifically, Lex met Tim Haywood, a rising star within GAM. Haywood managed the firm's absolute return bond fund. Under Haywood's leadership, the fund invested in various debt instruments in an attempt to maximize returns for their client assets. This fund invests in all types of debt instruments. Haywood eventually invested about $1.5 billion of GAM's client money into Greensill bonds. Greensill would lend money to end customers using their invoices as collateral. They would then sell the invoices to GAM's absolute return bond fund. This would free up capital so Greensill could lend money to new end borrowers. As GAM poured more and more money into Greensill, the company grew rapidly. In 2018, they gained further credibility by raising a $250 million equity investment by the massive private equity firm General Atlantic. By this point, Greensill was a rising star within the financial world. They spent millions of dollars to buy multiple private jets for corporate use. While private jets are often viewed as vanity items, Greensill's jets may have had an important business purpose. In 2018, one of Tim Haywood's colleagues at GAM notified the British Financial Conduct Authority, or FCA, about a potential conflict of interest. In or around 2017, Haywood took a free trip on Greensill's private jet to the Italian island of Sardinia, which is a popular vacation destination for rich people. The FCA estimates the private jet trip to be worth £15,000. In addition, Greensill gave GAM equity warrants that could increase in value substantially if Greensill's valuation rose. The private jet rides and warrants could potentially cause a conflict of interest for Haywood, making him far more likely to invest client money into Greensill's supply chain finance scheme, even if they don't provide the best risk-adjusted returns. The FCA did not find evidence to suggest that the private jet trip influenced Haywood's decision to invest in Greensill's supply chain finance scheme but they did find that he failed to properly disclose the private jet trip and other gifts that Greensill gave to him. In light of the scandal, GAM fired Haywood and wound down the absolute return bond fund. Clients lost confidence in GAM and started withdrawing their money. To this day, GAM's reputation has still not recovered, and their share price has fallen more than 90% since the Haywood scandal was exposed. While GAM continued to offer Greensill-backed funds to their clients, the level of funding decreased dramatically. If Greensill wants to sustain its growth, Greensill needs to find a new source of funding. While the GAM debacle tarnished Greensill's reputation within the industry, there was one investment bank still willing to work with them. The Swiss bank Credit Suisse is one of the largest wealth management companies in the world. Their ultra-high net worth clients have hundreds of billions if not trillions of dollars of personal assets. They rely on Credit Suisse to give them financial advice and access to investment products. Credit Suisse started pitching their clients on Greensill-backed funds. They had very little risk and offered greater returns than traditional bond investments. They were lending money collateralized by sales which had already been made. All they had to do was wait for the cash to come in. And in the unlikely event that they can't collect on the invoice, Greensill purchased insurance against potential losses. So from the perspective of Credit Suisse's clients, the money might as well already be in the bank. With Greensill being so safe, 
Credit Suisse's wealthy clients started pumping money into their supply chain finance funds hand over fist, with the total investment eventually soaring to $10 billion. The $10 billion from Credit Suisse dwarfed the $1.5 billion that they raised from GAM, and Greensill rapidly expanded their operations. By 2019, they looked unstoppable. They raised $800 million from the technology conglomerate SoftBank. This not only gave them a war chest to fund their growth, but also credibility as a disruptive technology company. They used this money to expand rapidly into countries all across the world, from Brazil to India. In addition to funds from Credit Suisse, Greensill found another creative method to raise capital. They bought a small German bank called Nord Finance and rebranded it as Greensill Bank. Nord Finance was a proper bank, so they could raise deposits insured by the German banking regulator at very cheap rates. As of 2019, the bank had about $4 billion of total assets. Being a registered German bank, Greensill Bank was regulated by Bafin, the German financial regulator. As we will see later, this eventually became very important. By this point, everything was looking good. Greensill had disruptive technology, allowing them to make supply chain finance loans much more efficiently than the legacy banks. They also had access to billions of dollars of cheap capital from Credit Suisse's wealthy clients and their retail bank in Germany. By January of 2020, things were going so well that Credit Suisse was already planning to take the company public with an IPO. They planned to position it as a once-in-a-generation company at a premium valuation of $30 billion. That would make them the most valuable fintech company in Europe by far. But underneath the facade of artificial intelligence, Greensill's business model was a lot more risky than many of their investors believed. Liberty House is a multinational company operating steel and aluminum plants around the world. It was founded by an Indian-British businessman by the name of Sanjeev Gupta. Liberty House was part of Gupta's larger industrial conglomerate called GFG Alliance, which had revenue of $20 billion and employed more than 35,000 workers. As it turns out, GFG funded a large part of their rapid growth by tapping Greensill for supply chain financing. By the end of 2020, they had borrowed an estimated $5 billion from the fintech firm. Lex framed the mission of Greensill as democratizing supply chain finance and extending credit to previously neglected small businesses. In 2019, he touted the fact that they had over 8 million customers. But a large proportion of the total value of their loans was to GFG Alliance, a far cry from a small business. But this shouldn't be too bad. Remember that Greensill only made loans backed by invoices. The sales were already made, they were just waiting for the cash to come in. So even if they had a large concentration on one customer, the business model was so safe that the chances of large losses were very low. And even if there were any problems, the loans were guaranteed by the Japanese insurance company Tokyo Marine. So under any circumstance, it should be almost impossible for Greensill's investors to incur any losses. At least, that's what they thought. In 2020, the German financial regulator Boffin launched an investigation into Greensill Bank, their German banking subsidiary. That same year, media reports came out suggesting that Sanjeev Gupta's industrial empire was relying heavily on Greensill Bank to fund its expansion. The German regulators got suspicious and commissioned an investigation into the bank. The results of the investigation were shocking. Germany has a system equivalent to the FDIC in the US, where retail banking deposits are insured up to 100,000 euros. In the event that the bank goes bankrupt, the government is the one holding the bag. Because of this, they enforced strict regulations limiting risk on bank balance sheets to minimize the losses from deposit insurance. Greensill Bank told the regulators that their loans were extremely safe because they were backed by invoices for sales that were already made. But the regulator could not verify the existence of these invoices. While Greensill started off providing traditional supply chain financing, they eventually moved on to so-called future accounts receivable lending. They would use their AI models to predict future sales of the borrowing company. 
they would then use these future expected sales as collateral for their loans. This completely changes the risk profile. If they make a steel product, they may or may not find a customer to buy it, and there's tremendous uncertainty about the price they can get for it. And even more importantly, this is not what they told the regulators they were doing. In early 2021, the regulators forced the bank to shut down and took control of these assets. At the same time, Greensell's insurer Tokyo Marine was getting suspicious about the risks related to the supply chain finance loans. In March of 2021, they decided to end their coverage of Greensell's debt. Remember that by this point, the majority of their funding came from Credit Suisse's wealth management clients, who thought that they carried almost no risk. With the insurance gone, the loans became extremely risky, and Credit Suisse froze the funds, effectively halting the flow of new money into the embattled fintech company. With this, the house of cards finally came crumbling down. They lost their sources of financing and could not write any new loans. This was a huge disaster for GFG Finance, which relied on Greensill's credit to fund its day-to-day -day operations. Unable to refinance their loans, they didn't have the cash on hand to make the payments and filed for insolvency. Greensill also filed for insolvency and shut down its operations. This put close to 1,000 of their employees out of a job, and likely means a total loss for the more than $1 billion invested by SoftBank and General Atlantic. These venture capital investors knew that they were making a risky bet, and there was always a possibility of losing everything. But what about the investors who bought the supply chain finance loans thinking that they were risk-free? There are two main parties who stand to lose money from the collapse. The first is Greensill Bank, which is owed significant money by GFG Alliance and other borrowers who are unlikely to pay back the loans in full. Most of the deposits of Greensill Bank were held by local depositors in Germany. Their deposits are insured up to 100,000 euros per person, so most of them will be fine. The banking regulator has already paid out about $3 billion to these depositors. These funds will ultimately be borne by the broader German banking industry, as all German banks pay contributions to the deposit insurance fund. There's another roughly $3 billion loss related to Credit Suisse's wealth management clients. These funds are not covered by deposit insurance, but they were insured by the Japanese insurance company Tokyo Marine. However, Tokyo Marine is now saying that Greensill applied for the insurance under a fraudulent pretext, making the insurance contract void. Credit Suisse is currently locked in a legal battle with Tokyo Marine as to who will hold the $3 billion bag of Greensill losses. The Swiss bank warned that it could take up to five years for the case to be settled. Regardless of who wins the case, somebody is going to lose a lot of money. The next question is if there will be any criminal liability for Lex Greensill or any of the high-ranking executives at the company. The question is, did they knowingly defraud Tokyo Marine, the German banking regulator, or any of their counterparties? If they said that their loans were all backed by invoices for sales that had already been made, but in reality the sales had not yet been made, this could be a criminal fraud. German authorities have already filed a criminal complaint related to the non-existent invoices. This could be considered balance sheet manipulation, which is punishable by up to three years in prison. These types of white-collar criminal cases can take a long time to play out. Theranos, for example, collapsed in 2016, but founder Elizabeth Holmes wasn't convicted until six years later in 2021. And the case of Greensill may be even more complicated. Unlike Theranos, Greensill was a real company with real revenue and operations. They may have misrepresented the riskiness of their loans to investors. But even if they did, this is not nearly as blatant as Theranos completely fabricating their technology. The main problem with Greensill is that their AI technology wasn't as good as they thought it was. At the end of the day, they were a bank that lent money mainly to industrial companies. No matter how much machine learning you apply to this, you can never eliminate the risk of default. After a 10-year bull run for technology companies, venture capital investors seem to think that any industry can be disrupted by technology. That's why you saw SoftBank pouring billions of dollars into companies like Greensill and WeWork, both of which ended in disaster. 
The story of Greensill is a cautionary tale for all investors. While technology has the potential to disrupt many areas of the economy, it is not a panacea for all of the world's problems. You've been listening to the Wall Street Millennial Podcast. Don't miss a minute wherever you go. Wall Street Millennial, signing out.